Hola, hola, mi gente. Thank you so much for tuning back in into our Latino That Connection podcast. I am so excited to be here with you and be talking to an hermano, compadre. Um, really have a lot of respect for, for this, this man that we're going to talk to today. Uh, you guys probably know him from his popular YouTube channel, Reality Changers, where he shares his journey as a father and just bringing more awareness of his fatherhood journey and the importance of, of being present. And, you know, I'm going to be talking to him about, you know, what the new work that he's doing now, a little bit about his his childhood and just the teachings that he's learning through uh, the, the beautiful work that he's doing in the community. And with that, compadre George, George Nav Navarez, thank you and welcome to our, our podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me here, man. It's good to see you again. Yes, it's good to see you again, and hopefully we get to see each other in person soon. I know we had a, a great time um, camping out in San Diego for a couple couple of days over there and really was able to connect with you and your beautiful son. So I appreciate that. And let's, let's start with uh, a little bit of conocimiento, just going back into who is George, you know, a little bit about your childhood. Uh, anything that you would like to share with the audience so they can get a better perspective, better idea of who you are? I think a little bit about my childhood, my 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 upbringing, right? I my I was born in Guadalajara, and then I my mom and my dad brought me over here. My mom crossed the border, and she brought me over here when she was very young. She crossed the desert, and um, mom and dad got together. They were teen parents. And, um, you know, they did what they could, they, like any teen parent try to do. And uh, mm. in the process, as they got older, they dad developed an addiction to alcohol, lived in L.A. And uh, I was uh, I saw a lot of stuff I, would, I shouldn't have seen when I was growing up, you know, things mm. that I that kids shouldn't see. But um, and I have vivid memories of some of these moments, too, um, still, you know, that haunt me. But um I think my upbringing, uh, I, I live with my parents, but then they separated and then I just kind of saw both of their dynamics change, right? And, and mm -hmm. who they are and their identities and what their roles are in my life and and, and seeing them also overcome, but also struggle. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, being being you know, born in Guadalajara and, being, and coming to the U.S., being undocumented for a long time, mm. uh, and then just navigating life as a kid with all that and then finding happiness through all that, you know, making friends, navigating my schools, navigating my, my friendships, myself, and, and really trying to figure out what I was doing, right. And who I am and who I was back then. I think, uh, uh, as I take, as I try to piece together my past, right. My inner child, I, I try to figure out like, um, what is me, what made me who I, who I am now mm -hmm. and, and, and how that's connected to the way that I serve now and how i serve my community based on what i've been through and based on how i was raised so yeah thank you so much and I, I resonate with your story 
a lot with the immigration from Mexico to here, parents trying to provide the best that they can, you know, dad coping with alcohol to to deal with all the stress, right? And, you know, like you said, they did the best that they can. And I like the idea of you co like trying to piece together your childhood, right? That that really shaped you and, you know, shaped uh, shapes us of who we are and what we do. Uh, that's very true. What do you think are like three big uh, moments that really shaped your childhood that you want to like you want to share? One big moment I think that shaped my childhood is um, is a memory I have of my dad. He was a I was a little kid, two years old. I know this is sounds sounds crazy, but I was two years old, and I ne I'll never forget waking up seeing um my dad choking out my mom mm. when i was like two years old and i remember seeing her in the corner struggling to, to escape and trying to walk away from that and yeah. my dad just pushing his body on her and mm. pushing uh a gun on her face and i'll never forget that 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 part um of my of my childhood um, yeah. and so that's one of the one of the big ones that really stands out to me and uh, it really defined at the time um, survival. It, it defined my sense of survival back then. Um, mm. And if I if I look back at those memories of what I was doing back then, mm -hmm. just trying to be a kid, just trying to just trying to be myself, just trying to be right. Yeah. Um, but it's I can confidently say, and I, and I couldn't. My mom confirmed this too. I was two years old when that happened. Mm -hmm. So I have to admit that that could be one of my earliest memories. Wow. Um, and so that's one of them. I think another childhood experience memory is just, just always being um, happy to make friends, always being happy to uh, to meet new people. And I was a little kid. I, I remember yeah. just not being afraid of like talking to people. I was very social. Mm -hmm. I'm still, I still am. But uh, that memory and this memory of like the way how innocent I was and how innocent I wanted to be despite yeah. what I was going through. And I remember um, like how easy it was for me to make friends, how fun it was for me to make friends. Yeah. But I remember also being like a, like always like trying to um, just be, just trying to feel, trying to be. And trying to make sense of it so that memory and then the other memory is um another memory is uh, that stands out to me as i speak with you is when my mom decided to leave my dad mm. and i remember leaving in the morning my mom my, my dad went to work and i'll never forget my mom we were in pasadena and she's like we're leaving we're leaving and then uh i wasn't sure what that meant but it meant leaving my dad behind and fleeing to mexico Wow. I'll never forget that that feeling what I had. I remember we lived in Pasadena. There was a two it was a two story apartment, and I remember my mom coming, going up and down the stairs with uh, luggages, right, like just packing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so my mom was experiencing a lot of domestic violence with my dad. And um, imagine being that age, right, like right seven, eight years old. I think was well, six, seven, eight years old, and not understanding what it means, but knowing that I'm that something's wrong. Yeah. And not having a voice and not having a a place to put my emotions other than just out. And uh, 
endure i just i just remember my childhood being in a, a childhood a, a childhood of endurance of enduring of surviving of being of trying to be in places and feeling a certain way if i could describe my childhood like that it would probably be like just endurance Wow, brother. Wow. Uh, something I didn't I didn't know about about you. That's that's amazing, you know, the all the endurance and resiliency and grit that you had to, you know, uh develop just to survive, right? Because of everything that was going around you. And it's also so amazing that you remember that memory at two years old. And I feel like oftentimes we think. No, pues no se van a acordar, ¿verdad? Like, they're too little, no se acuerdan. You know, something happens. The, you know, kids are, are are resilient, but also, you know, we know that there's so much development at that early age, right? Uh, before five years old. And oftentimes, um, tra trauma and traumatic events that happen at that age um, might not be stored in our memory, their story in our bodies right and they they manifest themselves in different ways uh, i think you've done the work to be able to be be uh conscious enough to to actually know like in and and remember that right but um i feel like there's a lot of uh trauma that you know is often on on unseen with with men and and fathers but yeah, brother, muchas gracias. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that and being vulnerable and just keeping it real, man. That, that's that's good. You went deep right away. Y lo que me gusta. <laughs> and uh, I would love to uh, kind of shift a little bit. And you, you mentioned that your parents were teen parents. I know that you were became a parent really young. Um, I would love to, for you to share a little bit about, you know, how was that transition for you? Was it something that you you looked forward to, you plan, you know, tell me more about like, just going back to that transition of, you know, having your, your first child. I remember being really in love, right. Mm. Being in love at that, at that age. And, uh, what I thought was love back then, right. This idea of like being with someone who makes you happy and, mm -hmm accidentally creating somebody in the process um not having any plans i think that was the whole thing no plans there was no plans mm -hmm. to have alexa mm -hmm. there was no plans but when we found out it was uh scary and it was exciting but it was very scary and i remember feeling okay with the scariness because i was in love and i was in love with mm -hmm. the person who who yeah. who is giving um birth to a to a child that we created and i remember just at least try to focus on that right like mm -hmm. i remember mm -hmm. like just be let's just just enjoy it but um i think uh there's nothing easy about being a teen parent there was nothing easy about it especially being undocumented at the time mm -hmm. well, you know not being able to look for work yeah and i remember i remember how naive i was like you know have you ever seen that phrase like you know, you, you live in a pink cloud. Like some people that that they're too dreamy about ideas, and it's, I think it's a part it's part of my personality trait. Like someone who is um, tries to be positive, and I think I remember at the time I was trying my best 
to be positive mm-hmm. about being a teen dad, right. a documented teen dad, an unplanned child, and trying to figure out how to navigate all that, right? Like what it what it really meant for me to navigate it and and having some support systems, not having some support systems, not having money. And I think that time, those memories of struggle, those memories of struggle, of 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 surviving, of of doing what you gotta do to keep going. I remember that it's like, you know, looking back at it now, it's like I always had what it took to survive, you know? Mm. Like I just didn't trust myself, right? Yeah. And so I think about where I was and and like really allowing myself, right, to to risk and to to find a way to make money, man, to feed the feed the feed Alexa at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You how, know, selling. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you became a dad? I was sixteen. Sixteen. Uh, mm-hmm. She was born when I was seventeen, and okay. uh, and then. She just it just changed our lives, dude. It really, really changed our lives. And mm-hmm. obviously I haven't been the same since then. I think um my mindset's still the same. My mindset was always like determined, keep going, keep going. But obviously my goals changed and I wanted to be pursue a different type of career. And I, I had to pursue a different type of career. I would have not been able to become an oceanographer or anything like that if I was a father. Mm-hmm. And the type of work that I wanted to do was going to require yeah. me to travel to the Scripps Institution of, I remember I had it all planned. Like, mm-hmm. like before I became a father, it was like, I, w- I wanted to go tr- study the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea. I, f- I found it, I found it peaceful to think about being alone in the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. with other people. Yeah. And, and like, I just thought it was fascinating. So I remember shifting, pivoting, right. Which is something a lot of, a lot of us fathers do all the time. Right. Yeah. Learning to pivot. Yeah. And I haven't had a chance to think about it until now. Just that I'm talking about you talking to you about this is, uh, is the concept of pivoting and how much of that I've done. And whether it's through COVID, whether it's happening in, in different moments in my life where I've had to really turn left or turn right really quickly. Yeah. And I come to realize that I've been pivoting all my life. You know, and pivoting is actually part of being a father is changing the way you think, changing the way you feel, changing the way that you make money, changing the way you survive. So in a way, I felt. I, in a way, I, I guess I was prepared, you know, like I had the mindset already to 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 survive. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, no, it does. Brother, and it, it gives me an insight of really what what were you thinking and experiencing as you were becoming a teen parent right and just trying mm-hmm. to figure it out um you know con las ganas you know i think that's yeah. the, the word the de salir adelante y darle un mejor este um futuro para tu hija right but also having the lack of resources right being undocumented not being able to ask for work um you know maybe there was a i'm not sure but just you know from my stories like the lack of support lack of um you know things like that a healthy um role models all these things right that that are really important for for us as fathers and i think that that idea of pivoting right um is so key because yes when you become a father then you you take in consideration not just yourself but then your child right 
because for you, you had your, uh, uh, you know, dream to be, you know, uh, oceanographer. That is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, now is new baby coming into the picture, and now we have to pivot, right? And then you you think you got to figure out what the first one, and then the second one comes, and it's just like a whole new different world. So it's this mm -hmm. um balance of structure and flow, right? And sometimes being structured and sometimes going with with the flow of life and and you know just wherever the ocean whatever those waves are going to take you uh and instead of like fighting it being okay with it um no i think i think that that that's that's amazing brother and then i know that you started your channel with your daughter you know sharing memories sharing um just insight about your life um Tell me a little bit more about what inspired you to do that and what were some things that you learned uh, as you went through that journey of, uh, you know, having your YouTube channel and creating content and being a content creator? I think what motivated me to start that, there's so many reasons. Now that I look back at it, what really motivated to begin that. Initially, initially it was... It was more of a fun. It was like it was real. It was more like, what if what, it was like my 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 curiosity kicked in. Like, what if what if I could do this? Like, what mm. if I could continue? Like, I was already obsessed with recording my kids' lives. Like, I was before YouTube. Like, I was already obsessed yeah. with like little things. Like, I was obsessed with um, with like taking pictures of my kids in their first walk, mm. or they sipped from a sippy cup for the first time. And I remember when I picked up a camera back then, and I. When I was younger, and I was at, I was at my daughter was a baby, and I was like, "This is a good tool to to like document things, to document life." Yeah. And I remember, I, I mean, looking back at it now, it's like, why would I do that? Why did I do that? Like, what is it about this and recording that made me so excited? And I think I was very, uh, I liked to share i like the idea of like documenting i like the idea of like keeping track of stuff mm. and if i could be very straightforward with you i think it really had to do with my traumas i think mm. and what i experienced growing up i, I in my it was, i felt like it was also a coping mechanism to like prove right to others that i can be a good dad or prove oh, to my dad right yeah. to prove to my dad most importantly subconsciously of the things that he could have done with me yeah right yeah. and so i remember looking back like I, I don't really vlog anymore to be honest with you man i haven't vlogged in a while and i'm I'm at peace with it i'm at peace with the concept of letting go of yeah. that space for now because mm -hmm. i pivoted going back to pivoting mm -hmm. and this pivoting was very important for me i would not be where i am now if it wasn't for the pivot that i'm doing right now so while i was there vlogging I learned a lot about myself. I learned things that I sh that I wasn't proud of myself, but mm. I'm also very proud because of how much I've accomplished with it. And the simple concept of just dreaming big about storytelling and yeah. getting really, really out, out of my comfort zone and really believing in what I what I want to say, believing in, you know, um, being a good person and trying to be a good person. And I feel like that's what it taught me. It really taught me a lot about. Um, you know, um, just being present, you know, and being present, yeah. 
being present because the irony of being present in as a vlogger, as a content creator is that you have to distinguish oftentimes when is the right time to do this and when is the right time to put your hands down and be present. Yeah. And so when that fine line, when that line became blurry is when I be, when I realized that um, there was something going on. And so that's when I, that's what I learned. I learned that it's okay to let go and it's okay to pivot. Mm, yeah. I think what I, what I experienced with that space is I experienced a lot of growth. A lot of growth in whether I was generating views or generating um, time to edit videos or generating yeah. um, travel, like all these opportunities that came with it. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, just feeling like I, like, is this it? And so I forgot about my, my heart. I forgot about my spirit and feeding myself with more knowledge and so i felt stagnant mm. because i started noticing my kids getting older i started noticing my family getting change, changing the dynamics changing right yeah and i wasn't and so i was like what do i gotta do to grow continue to grow because i can't just talk about growth i gotta try to grow myself mm. and and so when I pivoted, and I'm the kind of person that when they pivot, I try to still do what I love. Yeah. So I found a way to let go of YouTube, let go of the social media stuff, like the, the at the consistent pace that I was going to, because I still post, I still do things, but not not as consistently. Yeah. Because there was like religiously, I was very religious, religiously posting, I was sharing everything. And I'm and to be honest with you. I, I am still unafraid of sharing what I have to share. I'm not afraid to be long-winded and I'm not afraid to speak about what I've been through. Yeah. But the pivoting happened and it was necessary because as a father, I was not looking at what it was in front of me properly. And I was looking at myself. I was headed in a different direction than I thought. And so when I pivoted, I, you know, going back to, um, I like to learn. I love to learn. And if I want to work somewhere, I want to learn. And so when the learning stopped, when the learning stopped in social media, when I, when I stopped going to the conferences, when I stopped going to the summits, when I stopped going to the, you know, especially during COVID, man, I mean, it was so hard yeah. to go to these, right. to these places to learn other than like this, you know, and like on Zoom, because there's really nothing like being in person. Right. right. There's nothing like it. And uh, and missing out on those spaces, I was like, I'm not growing. I'm not learning anymore. And so I feel like now that I am in this place, I'm a, I was a fatherhood case manager. I was working for State San Diego. And I learned so much. I picked up so much knowledge. I went through so much training and so much certification. Yeah. And I felt my body and my spirit uh, reconnecting again. Mm. And so my body and spirit they reconnect with education they reconnect with knowledge they when i start feeling like this like separated from my body my spirit um i seek knowledge i seek to learn mm -hmm. and so i found myself learning a bunch of stuff that i thought i i thought i knew i had to do well well like you know active listening and 
and reflective listening. But when I started teaching it to others and seeing how others played their lives as, as I case managed them as a father, these are guys coming out of prison. I would, I would see, why am I not doing that? Why am I preaching about this? And yeah. why am I having a hard time preaching? Why am I having a hard time actually doing it? Because most of us find ourselves that I've learned, and this is just friends, family, relatives, cousins, influencers, and other people that are doing the work that I do. We find ourselves advocates as advocates of fatherhood. We find ourselves as advocates of doing the right thing and being there for our culture and being there for our, for our loved ones. But oftentimes uh, we forget to slow down and think about us and uh, and where we are. Who are we? Who am I? Who is I yeah. to preach about all this and not allow myself to continue to have an avenue, a freeway of knowledge of, of, of what I have to continue learning as a father? So I joined the program, the Proud Father program did really well for the past couple of years. I feel like I did a good job working there. I, I know I I know I helped a lot. I know I supported people. I know I learned a lot too. And then now that I'm doing um this type of work of uh, restorative justice in schools and I re I do restorative work and I do, you know, coaching one-on-one, -on -one, counseling, curriculum, teaching. I do a lot of stuff. I do, like, I'm like a handyman at, like, schools. Yeah. And I, I they send me to the schools when there's something going on. But I'm, they also send me where there's something really good going on. Mm. So, like, I realized it seems like it's natural to pivot, mm. you know? So, so, nat so pivoting from being a kid, you know, mindset-wise, changing the way that I think about love, like, the way that I experience trauma to, like, fatherhood. Um, to to graduating to going to youtube and to graduating from college and then all those pivoting moments right those 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 moments in my life where i had to where I, if i didn't shift i'd be still there and so i now thank myself for allowing myself to learn to pivot mm. because that's see if we're like this right if i'm like this this is my life i'm going up um if i if i pivot um when it's necessary then i can learn and so so far that formula has been working and right now i pivoted towards this job as restorative justice and i'm really happy dude i'm really happy with this job yeah man because wanna... there's so much to learn yeah there's so much to do there's so much need in schools you know this you know this how yeah. much need there is in schools how much adults need help yes, to brother. feel connected. Wow, man. Thank you. Uh, wow. There's so much, so much that I want to share. Some, you know, something I want to highlight, uh, something that you said uh, got me interested, which, you know, you mentioned that you started doing your videos for, uh, you know, kind of documenting, but deep down it was a way to show that I'm a good enough dad, right? That I am, uh, I am present, I'm doing good, you know, and I think that uh, for a lot of us that had a difficult childhood, uh, maybe they didn't have a present father, we seek to do that, right? We seek to to be a good dad. And uh, what I found out about myself is that nobody is going to fulfill that, that void of me wanting to be a good dad but myself. Right. Even if people tell me like, hey, you're a good father, blah, blah, blah. But how am I how am I validating myself? Right. 
And I think that sometimes we we seek that the external val- validation of um mm-hmm. of like, hey, look at me. I'm present with my kids. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, which is great. You know, that's good. But deep down is there's still a lot like a little doubt, you know, shit. Am I am I a good father? You know, mm-hmm. and this is mm-hmm. this is something that I always remind, you know, the dads I work with is like, you are already a good dad, you know. Can we be better? Of course we can be better. But again, I think that, that validation has to come from within to really um, you know, hit home. And then another thing that you mentioned about knowledge and like learning and things like that i i also love to learn you know books and and honestly the the way i learned the best and this is what i figured out and this is why i'm doing the podcast it's because i learned from stories just like you you know sharing your story sharing your your wisdom and this is that's why i love what i do is basically you know talk to to other dads and and learn but then there's this idea of like acquired knowledge, you know, things that you know in your head and, you know, like active listening, what you're supposed to be doing to apply knowledge, right? When you actually do it and you embody the skill that you're supposed to do. And sometimes it takes a while, right? From that acquired knowledge to actually apply it into like, your own daily life because like you were saying you know you're teaching parents and dads how to be uh you know active listening and all these skills but sometimes we are not i'm not doing that right and i think i mean obviously everybody's everybody's human and we're all going through this uh, process but i think it's it, it there's there's a there's a process of like acquiring the knowledge and actually putting it to to work and now what you're doing now you're doing restorative justice you know you're a restorative justice specialist so i want to pause here and i want you to explain for people that might not know what restorative justice is how would you describe what it is uh and then we'll go i would love to go in more in, in deep into like uh you know some of the teachings and stuff i think restorative justice I, i've described it in different ways before um uh, on a personal level restorative justice is a lifestyle it's a way of thinking it's uh intentional actions towards your past your present and your future i feel like um i think that's what it means to me it's it's a intention at a professional level i see restorative justice as a as a tool um that is um Basically, you you approach problem solving in a way that um, it's almost mediation, but it's not. It's a it's mediation, but it's like focusing on cult, cultura and focusing on community, focusing on on really understanding where the harm has done and really identifying the root cause of things, mm-hmm. not just beating around the bush. In school, a sort of let me see if sort of example right um, is dealing with like teachers who might not be able to connect with the students culturally, or maybe they don't find the the bridge. And so you start seeing power struggles in classes. You start seeing um, bickering, you start seeing misunderstandings, miscommunication. And so restorative justice is the way that I work is 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 really, I do, cir- I do circulos, I do huge circulos at the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done probably over a hundred just in the past couple of months. 
Wow. And with students um, or with teachers and or both. So I do I do restorative circles and restorative practices. Um which is this is basically what it is. It's restorative practices a combination of PBIS, positive behavioral intervention special um in, intervention. Um it's also best practices, which is basically just finding ways to get to the kid in in, in a non-traditional way without using punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can still use consequences. So it's really like, and now like in, in a in a uh, community sense, uh, what restorative justice is is it prevents the school to prison pipeline. Mm. So it's like the way that some adult figures behave towards students in schools is directly correlated and connected in the way that security guards treat prisoners in jail Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when you begin to treat students which we've you know for many decades um that approach has been you know the zero tolerance approach of like you know out of the room out of the classroom for what for wearing a hoodie stuff like that so instead of kicking the student out of the class for wearing a hoodie, yes, the kid is defiant. Yes, the kid is going to speak up for himself. Yes, the student is not going to take off the hoodie because you said so. It's more of a, it becomes a power struggle. Instead of kicking the student out and preventing him from learning, preventing him from, from, from understanding, you disregard that and you send them to the office, right? And then so there is a problem. And the problem is this. Not the problem isn't the kid misbehaving. The problem isn't the teacher kicking the student out of class. The problem is the the relationship that was severed between the student and the adult and the teacher. Mm-hmm. So having both of them acknowledge that there's a relationship that's been severed instead of the rules that were broken. Mm-hmm. So focusing less on rules and more on relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. Less on punishment, more on consequences. And so... that's the restorative way um it puts the person first it puts the community first it puts it puts the relationship first now the rules are important but people are more important and so i go in and i navigate teachers counselors principals adult figures security guards i train them and then i train the and and i also case manage students that are like según los troublemakers quote unquote, yeah. right? And the ones that need more help because guess what? The teachers don't have the capacity to help them or they don't have the cultural capacity to help them or they don't have the the ability to try to listen or they don't even, or, or maybe, maybe it's as simple. Maybe it's just teachers. Maybe it's just a teacher who doesn't have the patience or the, the skill set to navigate with a student who does not look, speak, or act like them. And so I go in as a, what we call ourselves cultural brokers, right? It's just, it's a thing. Like we go in there and we try to mediate what happened. And a lot of the time it's just privileged. And some of these teachers don't understand, don't see their own privilege and don't see what these kids are going through. So I help, I help visualization. I help them see each other. Yeah. Empathy. Um, Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's great, man. I, I love that. I want to ask you because recently uh, in like it was going around social media and I think this is perfect for the work that you're doing is I, I don't remember what state it was, but with this girl um, brought a 
sweater that had brown pride uh to school How, did you hear about that you got in trouble for it yeah she got in trouble for it you know said that uh well obviously it was uh, uh she was out of dress code you know to, to you know make her take away the sweater but she decided to do a peaceful protest uh, uh you know advocating for herself and you know a lot of other hispanic uh latino students joined right and said hey this is part of my culture this is who i am this is not game related um and you know there was this this uh, uh argument or going back and forth with that um yeah what are your thoughts about that because i think that's kind of what you're talking about right there's different culture ideas of uh what teachers see and then what students are really experiencing and having teachers really understand what these kids are really going through, right? From the minute they, they wake up to get to school to the to going home, you know? So any thoughts on that on that uh case situation? I think for me the way that I would handle that is is really acknowledging the student's pride, acknowledging his heritage, acknowledging, you know, also his intentions. I I find myself with students sometimes that would say those words brown pride or it's because I'm Mexican or it's because of that. They say these phrases that sometimes makes um, non-Latino, non-Chicano teachers feel uncomfortable because they don't know how to process it. So I feel like when I see that, um, there's an opportunity to to educate not just the student, but also the teacher to be with them, not to them, right? Be with them and understand. And with the student, for example, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I had a situation like that where I, and what happened is I, instead of saying, why did you say that? You know, I would just, I just took out my stuff. I took my altar. I took my centerpieces. I took my, um, which is when I, when I it's like an immigrant, immigrant. I have a, I have like, I have a bag with like, icebreaker stuff and i use the stuff to uh and this is in my bag too i use this in my bag and i carry i literally carry a bolsa with things in it that has this and a bunch of other stuff a candle and it has a bunch of other things that are connected to me and connected to my heritage and my culture and my and the things that i've been through and i grab those things and i sit with the student and we go over culture we go over pride we go over the topics themselves and then challenge the student to ask, what about you? What about your pride? And really have them understand what does it really mean to have brown pride, right? Is it connected to your family? Is it connected to yourself? Or is it connected to your ego? Are you using this to trigger other people? Or are you genuinely proud? Now let's talk about this pride then, right? And so then after that, I would talk to the teacher and be like, hey, you know, like this student really values his family. He really values his shirt because it reminds him of his mom or it reminds him of his familia and his abuela. And so I would have the opportunity to talk to the teacher and say, look, um, I just want to share with you what this student means, what it means for the student, what it means for the student to feel to feel proud of his where he's come from now and, and what it means for you to feel attacked or feel offended or feel hurt or or just uncomfortable 
Let's talk about it. Why? Right. Let's talk about the root of the issue. And so I find myself as a mediator or I don't agree or disagree with the students. And sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes I don't. It just depends on I mean, because, you know, I'm deeply connected to my own Chicanismo, too. I'm deeply connected in my own way to Chicanismo. Um, I mean, it's it's geographically different. Chicanismo ge geographically different in different states and different countries. And also here in the in the West Coast, like LA Chicanos are way different from San Diego Chicanos culturally, mentally. So I take into consideration the student, where he's at, where he lives, how his family is growing. I ask him questions about his where he comes from. So that way I have, I have a better understanding of his cultura. And then I have a better understanding of how to deliver that information to the teacher. And then I have an understanding of what the teacher is going through. Um, so I can help the student understand, hey, look, your teacher is just like us. Your teacher, your teacher's a human being. She's trying to convey this to you. And so really creating that bridge of empathy, like you said, but also, but it's more than that. It's like really genuine understanding of each other. Or yeah. trying to allude to it, right? Because yeah. not everybody is going to budge. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, beautifully said, brother. And I think um, I'm just thinking about it. And it's just like the process, right? Because it takes time. It takes effort. I think it's easier, right? To, hey, go to the office, go in detention, whatever. Okay, that, that, that student builds up anger towards the teacher, towards the school, does something. Now he gets in a fight, you know, and it's, we're talking about that uh, school to prison pipeline, right? And you're really building those bridges of like, and restoring those relationships, right? Like you were saying, restoring the justice of uh, of understanding within the school. Man, and this work needs to be had. Uh, and no, and there there is schools, you know, I work in schools as well. A lot of schools are, in, uh, putting this into the school system but it, there's needs to be a lot more you know there's needs to be a lot more uh you know people that are doing this type of work uh, because it's really saving lives you know it's really saving lives uh for these for these students um yeah brother bueno I, muchas gracias hermano i just want to thank you for your time um is there any last message that you would like to kind of leave or you know tie uh and then i have another question after just a quick question but just any last message that you want to share honestly man um just this whole concept of fatherhood right like what does it mean to be a father what does it mean to be uh, a man what does it mean to be an ally what does it mean to be a son you know mm. um i think for me just we need to remind our fa our fathers that they're powerful, right? We need to remind each other, but also practice it mm. and really, really, really dig deep um, when, and this is from personal experience, but like, if I'm going to be preaching about it, if I'm going to be continuing to post on social media and I'm yeah. going to continue to, um, to share my life and share perspectives, especially for things that I care about, like being a dad or, or being, being around or being, being alive. I feel like I have to really dig deep in myself and really understand where I am and what I mean to others, because 
I feel like we don't stop often and breathe and look around how much we mean to other people. And I mm. think, I feel like fathers don't know how to slow down. Mm. We were, I feel like because of our, because of our demand, right? So demanding to be, keep our kids alive, to feed them, to take care of them, to house them, to work those nine and five, to make all this sense to, to, to continue. Yeah. We have to, and this is, this isn't popular with people because we're so used to progress. We're so used to capitalism. We're so used to like, go, go, go. But yeah. we need to regress. We need to regress. In other words, progress is good, but but man, I can tell you from personal experience how much I learned from myself when I pivoted, when I changed my mind, when I let go, when I regressed. And I sat down and with myself and really figured out who the hell I am. Mm. And more, and I'm still figuring it out. I'm still trying to figure out. I'm nowhere near done. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say that I think I know because I don't. I don't know. And I think that's what I think more fathers need to know how to do. And we need to create a safe space for fathers to do this. To be able to say, I don't know. Mm. We need to help fathers recognize that we need to hold space when fathers don't know. Because mm. society forces us to find an answer, to find a solution, to, to figure things out. Come on, come on. But what happens when you don't know? Don't when know. you don't know it's okay and you find out and you you can ask for help when yes. you don't know it allows you to search for a new way of thinking and so i found myself with a with an eye like a telescope and with another eye like a microscope because at all times i want to see what's in front of me but also i need to know what's right next to me mm. and mm. so with that concept of being aware and the yeah. concept of never of allowing myself to grieve and to cry and to feel is the best thing I can do as a father because I'm teaching my kids to grieve, to cry, and to feel. So if they see their father feeling and their father, I know it sounds horrible, but their father also failing, failing is also a lesson to your kids. Yeah. So we need to learn how to say, I don't know, because we don't teach our kids to, to learn how to say, I don't know. What happens? What do you think happens when we teach our kids to not know the answers? I feel like um uh, we go through life um just trying to please or or or, or do things for what we think is 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 best, but maybe it's not really what we really want, right? So you're you're alluding to it. Boundaries. We don't know how to put boundaries up. And so because we're used to people pleasing, we're used to solving, we're used to caregiving, harvesting, right? Hunter gathering, right? Now it's like we need to know when we need a break. Yeah, yeah. The rest part, right? Like and understanding everything has a season, right? And yes, there's times so that we need to rest, and there's times we need to harvest, and there's times we need to you know, put in that work, um, knowing, knowing how to slow down, because I feel like, especially in, in nuestra cultura, coming from an immigrant background, it was work, 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 you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't nine to five. It was, you know, whenever the job was finished and then even on the weekends, you know, the best uh, time that 
a lot of times I had with my with my dad was going to work, you know, <laughs> like going to mm-hmm. work. And that's good, you know, but it's also the, when do we get to rest and just chill and just enjoy life, like go out, go out in nature, you see the trees and be in, in the present moment, uh, which, you know, it's, it's very important. And one last question, brother. Um, I think you kind of already shared a little bit, but let's just say that you went back in time and you got to sit with yourself with that 16-year-old George right before or when he found out that he was going to be a father and you got to you know go to dinner with yourself basically and share any any message that you want to share to that younger self before becoming a father what would you Man, share you- to yourself you just said, you just made me realize something when you asked me that question. Yeah, go ahead. Brother. Something that I've never thought about until now. And I think I finally figured it out. And here it is. I think I'm going to ask you another question with that. Okay. I always talk to my inner child, right? In other words, my inner child is ageless. The person inside of me, I've learned, doesn't even care what gender it is. It's a non-gendered spirit. And this person, I visit in my body all the time. I, I see this person now. Uh, this little, this inner Jorge, 16-year-old Jorge, 4-year-old Jorge, 2-year-old Jorge. And they're all at once. And my concept of time is so different now because it's all living within me, right? This Jorge that lives within me. And so I visit little Jorge often. I visited him yesterday. I was hiking with my friends who I've sweat with. And I, you know, you met him once. I've, I've hiked, I hiked with him and I was like, I, I find myself seeing my inner child more and more and more and visiting that person that you just said, right? And remembering to visit that person and saying hi and checking in with them, you know, kind of like a Pokemon, you know, like you just check in with your Pokemon because your Pokemon is still evolving. So I'm still evolving. And the thing is, is that my inner child has taught me so much about myself. And I feel like that inner child comes back to me from the past and visits me in the present and tells me things. It's so bizarre to think about time like that now for me. And maybe it's because we're getting older, you know, maybe it's because the concept of time has changed. I mean, you know how people say, Oh, you know, it felt like it was yesterday when we were kids. It's a real fact. Like time is relevant now. So for me to think that way now, I think my child, I think my inner child, I think him a lot. And then when I speak to you, when I see the, the other fathers that I work with and the, the students, I see their inner child. You know, I saw you re- reaching out to me. Hey, Jorge, you know, like, let's talk about dads. But when, when in reality, what we're seeking is, hey, let's see, let's, 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 let's take our inner child out and talk about where we are. Um, I think it's such an innocent way to approach ourselves. It's such a vulnerable, innocent pure way to think about ourselves and it really erases the concept of 
stoicness and being angry and being like dry and it brings it reminds me that that i can listen to my past and learn from it yeah you know yeah man. i don't know i know i didn't answer your question but i think i did <laughs> <laughs> no you know what i think what you're alluding to is uh the inner child yes and our inner teen but i, I feel like what you're alluding to is our, our spirit you know our spirit that each each of us have that is tied to that inner child it's tied to that inner teen and all of our experiences that we have and our essence of who we are right do you and remember that kid do you remember that kid at the sweat lodge that said I told you, but you weren't there, but I told you about it. And it was mm. a student from B. He was right next to me in the fire and he was talking and re reflecting on the, on the sweat lodge that he just experienced. Okay. And I'll never forget what he said. He says, he said, how do you, I, they asked him, how do you feel about the sweat lodge and being out here in the reservation, you know, being out here in the ceremony, mm -hmm. the gathering. And the student says, my spirit has more mass than my body. Oh yeah, I I remember that. Remember that? that? Yeah, that was a that was good. That was and that's... we were just like jaw drop. Whoa, right? Like, yeah. can you imagine a someone thinking of themselves like I'm gaining weight because my spirit is heavy, because my it's it's full, alive. it's full, it's right? Glowing. It's yeah. dense. So yeah. it's all we're dancing around some beautiful ideas, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of times, like, um, you know, like maybe you read the 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 four agreements. We have that smoky mirror, right? All the uh things that in our childhood, in our past experiences, uh, todo todo lo que nos ha pasado, the trauma, um, that doesn't allow us to reach what we're talking about, that inner child or that spirit, right? Where when we are able to do that really there's so much joy and, and also there's you know raw emotions really right raw emotions of 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 who we are uh but we're also able to learn and you know get some messages from that but yeah <laughs> yeah brother thank you so much for for taking me that ride i didn't think that we were gonna you know talk about this but i love it and that's the that's the best. We just have to remember to pivot, right? That's what we just did. This conversation literally, we literally pivoted into a different direction. And I think that's the best thing we can do, man, for our kids is to teach them that. To teach them to be okay with these things, man. Um Yeah, yeah. So there was something else I forgot to tell you, but um um I think it was connected to something we did before. But uh I think like I said, I think we covered it pretty well pretty well. No, gracias, hermano. No, and I'm I'm looking forward to you know, continue seeing uh, your journey. I know you don't you don't um, blog as much anymore, but it's always good to see, you know, where you're at. And oh, I, dude, I love that. I'm reading a lot more right now, man. Eso es otra cosa that I didn't tell you is you have to continue feeding your brain, right? Like you said, you're reading, you read the Four Agreements, right? I yeah. haven't read that, but I work an hour away from my job. Okay. And every time I go to work. I listen to a book. I think casi como six. I have like five or six books under my belt, dude. Nice, nice. That's good. Think, think about these books. Think like a freak. Be like a pirate. The book of philosophy. 
um, a bunch of circle, um, restorative circle processes in schools. Okay. Hey, tú que trabajas en las escuelas. Oh, man. Um, I, you need to read this book. Um, it's called Lead Like a Pirate. It's like basically teaches you, shows you how leadership plays out in schools mm. and how, how you can support the leaders okay. instead of telling them what to do, <laughs> you know, like then yeah. they, they don't like that. Yeah. But um, I've been feeding my brain, bro, like so much these past couple of months, so much unbelievable amounts of knowledge that I just absorbed. And yet tengo libros. Like I have, I never thought I would ever get to that level in my life where I enjoy literature. And the only way I discovered it is because of the audiobooks. I've been doing audiobooks. So while I'm driving, yeah, I listen to, I mean, I listen to everything and I retain it. I retain yeah. it just like the way I retained that memory when I was two years old. So I'm using that to my advantage now and really taking on this like, okay, I have a good memory. I'm really good at taking on trauma. So might as well take on some memories of like knowledge. <laughs> take on some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, brother. No, I, I also love uh, audiobooks. I, I, I try to force myself also to read books, um, you know, physical books. And it's always important to continue is continually learning you know and, and and putting that that knowledge into into practice as well poco a poquito will pivot one day at a time you know so muchas gracias hermano uh, i appreciate you and uh is there anything that you want to share uh for people to find you any projects you want to share just as a, as a just in closing nah don't look for me i'm fine <laughs> put my, I'm gonna put my profile on private. There you, go. Boss. I'm just there you go. <laughs> you can find me on Reality Changers. Uh, I, I'm just really posting stuff when I'm present now. I'm just posting stuff. Yeah. As yeah. it happens. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I'm making a comeback. I'm just taking. I'm taking my time, dude. I'm really enjoying this job right now, bro. I really, really like my job. I really enjoy supporting and helping others at a very deep personal level. Yes. 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 Muchas gracias. Yeah. Okay, compadre. Thank you so much for your time. And remember, just show up, compadre. Just show up. Mm -hmm.